and welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined today by a bonafide Michigan State University basketball superfan, Steve Book. Book, who is currently a teacher of advanced placement U.S. government and politics and theater, presumably not at the same time, was an active member of the MSU basketball student section, the Izone, during his time on campus in East Lansing. He was a five-year member of the Izone, a four-year section leader, and in 2008 was named the Coke Zero Dream Job Biggest College Hoops Fan Winner. Along the way, he sat courtside in the student section at three straight Final Fours, 2008 in San Antonio, 2009 in Detroit, and 2010 in Indianapolis. He even had the opportunity to play trumpet in the Spartan Brass for a game. And, and I find this to be fascinating, he was the co-founder and curator of a site that gathered research on the MSU opponents. I'm sure there is much more of this onion that we'll peel back during our conversation today. Steve, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Doug, thank you so much for having me. Big fan of the podcast. Super excited to be here. And uh, and I can't wait to chat with you. This is, um, you know, I, I knew you were an MSU fan. I didn't know the level of MSU fandom that you went to. So this is really, I'm, I'm, I think we're all in for a treat tonight to hear about this. Um, but first of all, just a little background. Um, where'd you grow up and, and what's your first recollection of, of being a sports fan? Yeah, uh, I, I love the, the podcast theme. I love that this is the first question. Um, and, uh, and knowing that this was going to be the first question, I, I had to dig deep here. So, um, huge baseball family growing up. Uh, my dad had season baseball tickets for the Tigers, um, at the corner of, uh, Michigan and Trumbull. And, uh, that was my playground. So we were so bad at baseball in the early 90s when I was little that uh, it was pretty easy for my dad to sit down on the third baseline where our seats were and uh, and for him to say, all right, be back by first pitch. And he could see us. And uh, my sister, who's three years older than me and, and I, we're, she's uh, as much, if not more, of a Tiger super fan as, as my father and I are. And, uh, and we'd go and get autographs. We would um, try to, to snag some, some balls uh, during batting practice. And we would just have an absolute blast. And, and the third baseline was my playground. Um, and it was safe. It was fun. We knew every usher by name. When the stadium closed down, the final game at Tiger Stadium, um, such, a, such a vivid memory of mine, the last game. And I was 11 years old um, when the stadium closed down. So the sentiments that that I know you being a, a massive fan and being around for some of those big World Series games in, in 84 and that season, that magical season, um, it felt it felt honestly like a part of my childhood was closing, like um, the slide had broken that uh, on the playground that you had spent every single day going down. Uh, I was taking pictures with ushers that had helped raise me, uh, not knowing if they were going to be moving over to Comerica across town and, and if we would ever see each other again. But 11 years old when that stadium closed is also a time in a boy's life where that's kind of an end chapter of, of boyhood onto, you know, being a young man. So 
you know, it was very much my childhood was left uh, at Old Tiger Stadium. And then on a freezing cold day um, in April of the, the next spring, getting a chance to open up Comerica, I uh, just didn't quite have the same feel. And and the first year at Comerica Park was the last year that, that my dad had uh, renewed his season tickets. And the team didn't get better. The team didn't get worse. It was still bad baseball being played in the, in the early days of Comerica. But it was just, uh, it didn't quite have the same playground feel, the same uh, safety, the same just um, classic tradition that we had been used to at the old Tiger Stadium. So that's my oldest memories is, is just growing up, going to ball games. Um, every family vacation, Doug centered around which stadiums we could cross off of our list and uh, which teams we could see in Arizona or in Florida. Um, and my mom was a tremendous team player when it came to that. <laughs> it just wasn't her jam, but uh, for the rest of us, we, uh, we loved it. And, and, uh, and as long as we could work in a beach day, we knew we were working in a ball game. Um, two beach days, two ball games. So those are my earliest memories. I, I give my parents so much credit. They're, in my household, you mentioned in my my intro, um, the the music and the sports uh, were always such an important balancing act. Uh, sort of an unwritten rule in our house was every new sport we wanted to play, we had to learn a new instrument with it. So uh, it very much kept the scales balanced throughout my childhood. So what was... What was that first sport and what was that first instrument for you? Oh, good question. Um, first sport was baseball. I was playing baseball um, out of the crib. Uh, was fascinated by baseball. You know, now that I'm a dad myself, I, I wonder if it was because I knew it was my dad's biggest passion. And that was the thing that if I could be not even good at it, but if I could hold his attention through the game, I knew that it was going to uh, continue to, to push our relationship in a, in a direction that I, I really wanted. And obviously, you know, still have today with him. Uh, so baseball was the first sport and, uh, and piano was the first instrument. Very good. Um, you, you referenced the ushers that you got to know very well at, at Tiger stadium and, and take the taking of pictures and things. Um, did many or any of them, make the move across town to Comerica and were you able to renew acquaintances there? And have you been able to still maintain, I know it's been many years now, but are you, were you able to still maintain some of those acquaintances over the course of time? Yeah. At some point during that first season at Comerica, like I mentioned, that was the last season that we renewed our season mm -hmm. tickets. Um, for the opening game, we sat way up high. Uh, it was, it was colder than cold and in Comerica in the upper deck, while it's covered, um, it's very much graded. So the wind is just whipping at you if you're in those top, you know, 10, 11, 12 rows in the yeah. top of the upper, upper deck. And Doug, we weren't in the top 10, 11, 12 rows. We were in the last row with the wind. And this is uh, a bona fide, you know, decade long, maybe not a decade, but at least five to seven years season ticket holder in my father who this was the best he could get. You know what I mean? Like this was... Uh, there was no um, thank you for your service for dealing with so much bad baseball at the old place. Every corporate company in, in the greater Midwest wanted uh, wanted access to the first game of Comerica. So the book family was was up uh, the, the very top row. Um, 
and it was just blistering. It was the only time when I was very much okay with going to the concession stand and, and getting a hot chocolate um, in the middle of, of game action. Um, something that is a, a cardinal sin uh, in our house growing up. But um, later in the season, as the temperatures were, uh, went up and we were able to get a little bit closer to the action uh, on the first deck, we were able to find our main usher, who was, uh, he, he's the definition of a curmudgeon. Um, I love to use that word. And uh, his name escapes me right now, Doug. He was a, a really, if I were to call my sister, she would know, she would remember his name. She would remember his ID number. Um, but, uh, she's, like I said, three years older. Um, but he, he truly looked over us, uh, for, for many years. And we did get to take that picture at, at Comerica, uh, and then just never saw, never saw him again after that first season. Wow. But, uh, very, very cool memories and, and what a, a great way to spend, you know, a good bit of your childhood. And yeah. you say that you were there for that final game at Tiger stadium. Yeah. Um, I recall watching it on television was not in, in the house. I remember that I think there was a Rob Fick home run, if I'm not mistaken. Um, when, when Fick and, connected on that ball, yeah. it was, uh, it was like one of those, those, those movie moments, right? That the team is 30 games out of any playoff spot, maybe 30 games under 500. Uh, at least it felt like that to a, to a 10 year old. Um, and, uh, and f- that game though, I mean, that team wasn't going to lose on that field on that day with the star-studded um, lineup of, of alumni that had come to, yeah. to that game. And uh, of all of the Tiger alumni that I was the most excited to see on that field, uh, Cecil Fielder comes out on a golf cart. And um, just Cecil was always larger than life in my, in my mind, uh, right around the corner for me right now, there's still a long distance operator, full-size poster of Cecil Fielder. Um, one of the biggest thrills in, in my teaching career has nothing to do with teaching. It was when, uh, a student that I'm still very close with to this day ran into the theater. He was in, he was, uh, in the musicals that I was, I was directing at the time. And, and he also is a, is a rap, just a, a massive Tigers fan. And we got Prince Fielder and, you know, sharing, uh, um, you know, telling him about my history of, of just loving Cecil Fielder and Doug, the only time. I, I, the only time my mom probably ever thought about um, raising a hand in my direction uh, in, in my entire life, uh, the day, I think it was 1996, that Cecil Fielder got traded at the trade deadline to, to the Yankees of all teams, I ran up to my room, I ripped the same poster that's over here off of my wall, and I had no concept of what a wall anchor was. Oh, no. So I rip the piece of drywall off with it and I turn around and I see my mom's face and, and I can see that, that look right now. It's a look that uh, I may have given my kids at some point so far in our, in our parenting journey, but I also think it's a look that I I'm probably saving for, for a future date of destiny. Wow. Very, very cool. So Cecil comes out and, that's that's your guy. That's my guy. That was your guy. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. My sister's guy was Bobby Higginson, uh, yeah. right fielder, okay. number four. Um, for me, it was Cecil. Uh, it was cool to uh, hear some of my dad's connections with the 68 team. My dad moved from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, 
just in time to to get up for the 67 uh summer of 67 mm-hmm. which was a, a a good team um and then his connection with uh, my uncle ray my godfather the reason that uh, my uncle ray is my godfather and uh and the reason that my dad and him are so close is because they would sneak their radio underneath their pillow and um and my grandparents would put him to bed in, in shelby township uh, uh livonia at the time livonia at the time and uh and they put the radio on and they listened to the summer of 1968 from a radio hidden underneath their pillow just the two of them uh i can see him cuddled uh, in one bed um listening to the voice of george kell and uh and hearing those stories and seeing some of those guys and seeing the clips on the scoreboard of that season um that was pretty cool and, and remains a, a really nice memory of mine today yeah well that is a, a fantastic recollection and it, I'm continually amazed that probably folks of my generation, certainly the, the generation you know before me, of how big of an impact radio had on our love of all sports, but baseball in particular, because it was yeah. it's 162 times every year, and you can turn it on at some point, and you're going to be able to hear a game, and you can kind of come and go. Just a lot of fun. What's that radio voice in your childhood that you can? You can recreate, you can mimic, or you grew up. Is there is there one that you can remember? Well, I think, you know, certainly after we moved to, to Michigan from Indiana, it became Ernie Harwell. Yeah. Um, and, and I can't, I, I won't try to do that one justice. I can't. Um, I don't have that little, you know, Georgia lilt to it that just sounded like butter. Yeah. Um, but as a youngster growing up in rural Indiana, where there was not a, a team, you know, I, it would not be uncommon for me with the old transistor radio to just flip through and see what I could find, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, most of the of the games were on AM radio at the time. And, and AM radio, if you had one of those 50,000 watt you know, station, st- stations like WJR, you'd be able to get it. So I could get some Tiger games. Um, it was not uncommon to be able to get a Cubs game or a White Sox game. I couldn't tell you who the announcers were. Yeah. You know, the, the Cardinals, I think, would, would have still been um, a Jack Buck at the yeah. time and would occasionally get KML, KMOX from, from uh, St. Louis would come in. Cleveland was close enough to us. We could get that on occasion. And if the, everything was right, Cincinnati was certainly something that would happen, too. And I think um, well, the older Brenneman, I can't remember what his first name was, but he would do games. And Joe Nuxall, who broke into the big leagues as a 15 year old, was doing yeah. radio by that point, too. So, um not one voice in particular, but certainly just playing with the radio and trying to find what game I could, you know, track down at some point. And, and certainly now as a satellite radio subscriber, it's it's so nice because, you know, I, I listen to Charlie Steiner do Dodger games when I go to sleep now or, oh, that's um, cool. um, you know, Riz is out in Seattle. So you can listen. I can listen to him. Yep, it's it's in you know it takes all the fun out of it trying to dial in and find that station and get the sweet spot so you can maybe hear it in 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 Indian of action you know for for a bit, um, but yeah. now it comes in crystal clear and and with you know satellite radio or with apps you can do that you know really easily. There's nothing like that. My oh my call out of Seattle. Yeah, that is yeah. a great class. I mean, that's a call that seems like it would have been a uh, something you're listening to in the hall of, and hopefully we do listen yeah. to it through the halls of Cooperstown someday. Yeah. Um, now I'm interested because you, you went on to become a pretty significant Michigan state fan that yeah. the tiger to see that day was not Kirk Gibson. 
it was mm -hmm. Cecil Fielder. So at that time, were you a Michigan State fan or when did that all come to be? Not to skip ahead a long no. way here, but but let's uh, let's fast forward a bit and tell me how you got to be a Michigan State Spartan. Yeah, sure. Well, let's go to Gibby first. And, and yeah. it's a great, Gibby's a great transition. Um, so Gibby was still, you know, very much a, a West Coast National League presence in, in baseball um, around the time when, you know, I, I obviously remember him playing when I was very, very little. Um, but, uh, you know, he was once he retired from baseball and then started his coaching career, um, you know, it was far away from here. And so it was few and far. I mean, there was a, a solid five to 10 years where we didn't get a lot of Kirk Gibson in our lives. Um, and, and those were pretty form formative years in my tiger fandom. So I didn't actually have much of a Gibson, you know, Michigan state or even Gibson Detroit connection to me being a, a massive baseball fan growing up. I saw him trotting around the, the field in a Dodger uniform, right. You know, chugging along and, yeah. and, uh, um, and, and dragging his, his bum leg. And, and that's the visual I saw it was a Dodger uniform. Now, of course I knew of his, his tiger lore as well, but um so Gibson was not uh, somebody that I associated so much with with Michigan State or even with uh, with Detroit as much as I thought he was an iconic Dodger. Um, and then even on our trips to to Cooperstown growing up, which was a, a pilgrimage for for the family, um, I, I want to say Gibson's in the hall as a Dodger, not as a Tiger. And uh, unless you do, do you know otherwise? <laughs> well, he's not. Um... He is not an inductee into the Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, he may no, no. He's he would not. He would be in the Hall of Very Good, or yeah, you know, and not, maybe well, not there, the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's in the Hall for one of those iconic moments. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So that's probably the visual I have is some of those more multimedia exhibits in Cooperstown, seeing him in, in the Dodger, the Dodger blue. Yeah. Um. So. I'm in, I'm, I'm uh, probably a sophomore in, in high school now, fast forward a few years. Um, I absolutely love the falls doing the marching band at Rochester high school. Um, and I gave up, I played football in middle school, gave up playing football um, when the summers involved workouts and practices all summer. And I was going to have to give up up North trips and, and honestly give up baseball trips to go see, you know, uh, some of these other parks that, that my family and I hadn't quite seen yet. Um, and so marching band became something that uh, was a, a big time love of mine. I got to, I got to be at every football game. I got to be a part of the game day experience and the, and the traditions of game day um, without having to worry about, uh, you know, uh, knee damage or, or CTE or, or anything like that. Um, and, uh, and so I was playing the trumpet in the Rochester marching band in the falls and my mom's best friend, um, she had season football tickets for Michigan state and she knew how much I enjoyed playing the trumpet. She knew how much I enjoyed the marching band. And she said, you've got to come up to East Lansing with me on a, on a Saturday in the fall. And I was, she couldn't believe that, that my parents had never taken me. I, it's a sophomore year of, of high school and I hadn't been to a Michigan state game. Um, the only college football I had seen to that time had been at the big house, uh, probably 
late nineties um, because our neighbor had season season tickets at the big house. And so he had taken me to a game. Uh, I met Frank Beckman in person uh, who was doing the voice of, of um, Michigan football. But to me, that's my radio voice for the, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Beckman is that, that voice of in my ears when I think of uh, Tigers broadcast besides Ernie, obviously. Um, so meeting Frank Beckman uh, at a tailgate at U of M is my earliest college football memory. My earliest Spartan football memory is seeing the band come out of the tunnel for the first time my sophomore year. Um, and the the tradition of the Spartan marching band coming out of the tunnel is um, it doesn't get as much you know national press as say dotting the I does uh, down in Columbus um, as the uh, the T in Tennessee uh, gets that the team runs out of, uh, or even jumping up and slapping the banner at U of M. But it is a tradition on a uh, on a big game um, on a on a cool fall night that is to a sophomore who's got aspirations to potentially uh, play in a college marching band. That was it for me. Um, that was something that I I could definitely envision myself doing, and uh, and furthered my passion for wanting to continue to, to be a leader in the ranks of the marching band, uh, in high school and, and kind of see where that, that took me. Um, you know, this, a lot of this conversation has been inundation by old, or, or older generations, right? My, yeah. my Rochester high school band director was a diehard Spartan, Augie Toma, mm-hmm. um, a fixture of, of Rochester community schools for, for many years and, and a close friend of mine. Um, and so after I came back and told him that I'd been to East Lansing, uh, you know, in classic Augie Toma fashion, he'd said, well, I hope you will come with me up there again. And uh, and sure enough, uh, you know, I, I went to a couple more games junior and senior year and um, applied to, to MSU. Um, the rule, again, another family rule here. My sister said you can't just be one of 47,000 undergrads. You have to pick something that separates yourself from day one from the rest of the undergraduate population in East Lansing. Um, So I picked the James Madison College Residential College, which is for honors political science, and uh, uh, moved into Case Hall in the fall of uh, 2006. And um, that summer prior to the fall, Augie Toma's daughter, Megan, drove me up to East Lansing for my Spartan Marching Band audition. And, uh, and I made it in, I was one of the, the, the 300, uh, uh, members of the Spartan marching band, um, in the trumpet section of, uh, 65 trumpet players. And that year, I don't know, maybe 15, 18 freshmen were admitted. Um, and I was lucky enough to, uh, to make the block. That's, um, it's incredible. And, you know, you and I have known each other for you know a dozen or more years now. I was unaware of a fair amount of that. So uh, congratulations belatedly. Um, <laughs> and, and you're, you're correct. It's interesting how um, some of the, you know, the adults have can kind of influence or whatever. Did your mother or father have any connection to MSU at all? No, my, my father has degrees from U of D Mercy and mm-hmm. from Oakland university. So um, we did go to our, our uh, a lot of Golden Grizzly basketball games uh, when I was little, just to break up the monotony of the the winter. Uh, I was close by; it was easy to get in, uh, free to get in most a lot of games. Yeah. Um, so went to a lot of Grizz games growing up, um, but uh, but no connection to Michigan or Michigan State. 
So like every nine-year-old in 1997, um, I got a Rose Bowl uh, shirt in maize and blue um, underneath the Christmas tree. But like every other, uh, let's see what, every other 10 and 11 year old in in 2000, I had a green and white national championship shirt underneath the tree with a basketball on the back. So when you don't have an affiliation, um, it can be kind of fun because you can jump to whatever team is in the national spotlight in whatever sport. And now my kids don't get that option. (laughs) No, they they, they certainly don't. Um, You also referenced your sister. um, Yeah giving you the what for in terms of you need to go and distinguish yourself in some capacity. Yeah. Um, was, was she at MSU or where was she at? Because she's a little older than you. Um, yeah. What's her not to go too deep into your sister. I don't want you to get in trouble with her, but, <laughs> but what, what was, what was the story there? Yeah. My sister, my sister is a Xavier university grad and okay. uh, down in Cincinnati, my, yeah. my grandfather marched in the Xavier marching band uh, the final year that they had football on campus. Um, and uh, I played the saxophone in the, in the Xavier marching band. Um, my my great uncles, um, some of my second cousins, third cousins are all Xavier University graduates. Um, that's the legacy school in my family, if there is one. And my sister was able to, was fortunate enough to have a, a perfect GPA, have that perfect ACT score um, where she had the pick of the litter. And uh, it was between Hope College on the west side of the state and Xavier to kind of continue that that legacy. And she was able to to get those costs at a, at a private Jesuit university down in Cincinnati down to something that was um, not just affordable, but but pretty much a full ride. Yeah. So uh, so, you know, one of the things that you brought up uh, and I know we'll talk about in a little bit is this uh, this super fandom, this being voted the top college basketball fan in the nation. And I have to give my sister's college decision a ton of credit for being selected for this. So there was a long interview process to be even considered for this um, competition. And as a part of the third or fourth layer of it, a executive from Coca-Cola had to fly out to East Lansing to, to meet me and interview me. Not unlike this, to be honest, uh, about where my fandom came from, what it looked like. And when he goes, is there anything you want to leave with me at the end of of a really good, productive conversation? I named him the the starting roster for Xavier University (laughs) men's basketball program from the uh, 2007-2008 academic year. You just had that in your back pocket. I still do. Uh, <laughs> Drew Lavender at point guard. BJ Raymond was the shooting guard. Stanley Burrell was the small forward. They had some young bigs. Uh, Derek Brown was a, a stud freshman. Um, that team was good. Xavier is a, a, a sleeper when it comes to, to college basketball. I don't I won't say blue bloods because I know that drives a lot of people crazy, um, but uh, definitely a perennial uh, tournament team and one that always wreaks havoc on people's uh, brackets. Yeah, they do. I mean, you're you're spot on with that, and and good on your now good on your sister. Now, I want to know what did she do? I know it wasn't forty seven thousand at Xavier, yeah. um, but but what did she do to distinguish herself there? She uh, she was all too quick to give you the advice and the yeah. guidance, but what what did she do? If you're able to spill the tea on that, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, my sister's a phenomenal human being. She's uh, um, what, she's the she's the best master teacher uh, I have ever been able to witness in in person. She majored in um, piano performance and music education uh, at the same time. So that's uh, a no no more said, right? Like that's enough to distinguish yourself um, at any school. And uh, and she did it while uh, making some amazing lifelong friends and, and uh, a connection to a city that she called home for the next 14 years. Uh, she got her start in, in her teaching career down in Cincinnati, which gave me an excuse to get down to a lot of Reds games and and uh, and even see some some Xavier games in person, uh, Xavier basketball games in person over the years. Very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, you, you reference it. Let's just go right. Let's dive right in. Sure. The the biggest college hoops fan winner in 2008. So tell us yeah. about this. Well, what is this all about? I, I would like to think it's because of your charming disposition, but I'm sure there is more than just that to it, right? Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, 2008, I am a sophomore in Case Hall. Um, I am sitting at my desk and I have a listserv email open from my, my college, from James Madison College. And when James Madison sends the massive listserv emails, it's oftentimes who needs an intern in the Capitol? Because that's what we did. I did. I did. My friends did. We, we all had an internship in, in Lansing, and they knew that they could pick anyone they wanted from this political science program. Um, but I had my internship. I had my major picked. I uh, was well, um, I was very busy extracurricularly with the marching band, the Izone. Um, I, at this point, was about to start an acapella, a co-ed acapella singing group. Um, I was a part of the Model United Nations organization. Uh, I was doing a lot and uh, and I didn't need to add anything else. So the listserv emails, Doug, just went right to my junk mail for the most part. Yeah. The headline or the tagline in this email in all lowercase was cool sports job. That's it. So I think the fact that it was all lowercase and that was the title, uh, it intrigued me enough to click on it. And then to see this very foreign pop bottle logo pop up on my screen in black, white, and red, Coke Zero zero calories, same great Coke taste is at the very top of this, this email. And, uh, and I read on and, and it says, uh, you know, we're breaking in this new product in order to advertise for this new product. March Madness is coming up and uh, we're, you know, the NCAA, CBS, and a number of other partners are teaming up with Coke Zero. And we're looking for the, the, the number one college basketball fan in the nation to win the Coke Zero dream job, a job, all right? And uh, I didn't know what it was. I got, I clicked on a link, went to the website. 15 minutes later, I had filled out um, an application with my name, my address, my age, my school, my major, and not a whole lot more depth than that. Wow. And, uh, and a picture of myself showing my fandom. Uh, and that's it. So the picture I sent was from a Michigan State University of Illinois game. 
where I had my green and white face paint uh, on, which was a, a staple for the front row uh, with my buddy Corey and I uh, had my his own shirt on. And uh, and I was hugging a life-size cardboard cutout that I had brought to the game with me. And it just so happened that we were playing against uh, the University of Illinois during a year in which Michael Jordan's son was on the Illinois roster. So I had to have my Michael Jordan life-size cutout with me, and I had to put Jordan in a his own shirt. And we had to have him, you know, bouncing up and down with us and to try to get into the head like we did with every player of uh, a very much a role player on the Illinois roster. <laughs> um, but it's it's a picture from the Detroit News, uh, a photographer. I ended up getting to have a, a really strong relationship. Uh, his first name was Dale from the Detroit News. And, and Dale took this photo um, and, and ran with it on the uh, the next day following the, the Illinois game. And that's the photo that got me to the next round of of interviews to to see um, if I had what it takes to be the ultimate fan. So uh, I forget about it, Doug. This was um, two weeks before spring break, and I and I completely forget that I had taken the time to fill this out. Right? <laughs> no, thank you for applying. No follow up yeah. email. Uh, two weeks of radio silence. And you're doing a nice job of, of asking the right questions uh, with some bridges here, because over spring break, I drove down to Cincinnati and I shadowed my sister in her first elementary music class. And I told um, the class of elementary of, uh, I think it was third graders, I was showing them how to play the Michigan State fight song on the trumpet and showing um, videos of us running out of the tunnel, right? That's things we've talked about today. And my phone goes off in the middle of me playing uh, the Michigan State fight song. And um, I don't have like a, an Apple watch on or anything like that. So I feel my phone vibrating, but I, I completely ignore it until there's a pause in the action. And I have a voicemail and it says, you know, congratulations, you're in the you're in the running. You're in the top 15 to 18 that are going to be considered finalists for this Coke Zero dream job. Please call us back. We'd like to set up a phone interview. Okay. Uh, phone interview happens. I think, I think it goes very well. It's a lot about my, my game day prep, my game day routines. Um, that goes very well. And uh, a couple days later, Hey, you're in the top 10, top eight. Uh, we're going to, we're going to send an executive out and they want to meet you face to face. Make sure you're a real person. Make sure you actually attend the university or the, the, the university you claim that you attend. Um, and I'm able to, uh, to have an interview in the sixth floor South Case Hall study lounge, which um, I think had been used for beer pong more than had been used for studying. And it certainly had been used more for beer pong than for any formal interviews with uh, Coca-Cola executives um, straight out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he left that meeting and, and I mentioned, uh, I, I could name the Xavier starting roster. Um, he left that meeting very confident that uh, we were gonna be seeing each other again. I am of an age where there was a movie, uh, you, you may or may not recall it, starring Tom Cruise called Risky Business. Yep. That's the scene I'm having going over my head is, we don't think Princeton's uh, quite the right fit for you <laughs> or whatever his name was or something like that's I'm having that whole thing fly through my head as you're talking about this interview. Yeah. And so, so you end up winning, right? 
Yeah, so they they pick four young people from around the, the nation to uh, represent the, the quote-unquote winners for this. There is a girl, uh, Stacy from Syracuse, that is the same age as me, same year as me at, at Syracuse, another great basketball blue blood. Um, there is a guy a few years older than me from Northern Iowa University of all places. Now, all of the college basketball fans that tune into this will recognize Northern Iowa University for a couple of uh, really nice Cinderella stories. But this is pre those stories. Um, this is uh, when Northern Iowa, if if I hadn't met him, I wouldn't know the, the school existed at this point. And then a um, a personal connection to where the Final Four was going to be played that year was it was down in San Antonio, Texas. So they picked a, uh, a a gentleman from the San Antonio, Texas area um, who didn't have necessarily a college affiliation, more so than he had a, a college basketball obsession. And uh, and his father um, came from uh, some money through a, a television show that was popular at the time and was able to you know help support his college basketball fan uh, uh, addiction almost. And he would go. Game, I mean, Texas has so many great universities. He'd go college town to college town, um, and he was a super fan. It was just unique that he didn't have that university tied to uh, to his yeah. name in what we did. So, Doug, we um, first of all, it takes a little bit of time to uh, for me and for my parents to um, really think that this is a real thing, right? That this is legitimate. That uh, because what the job entitles this dream job is for me to miss four weeks a month of college to fly down to San Antonio, Texas to live in a hotel and to blog for CBS and NCAA.com about college basketball. And that's the only job is to, to touch. I mean, blogging is, is relatively new in these days uh, especially for somebody that doesn't have a journalist degree and, and doesn't have a journalism background other than uh, shout out to the, the Rochester Talon, the high school newspaper that I wrote for. Um, but that's what the description is. So my parents say, all right, let's talk to, you know, whoever's in charge. We talk to him. He, he promises my parents that uh, it is legit. It will be secure. It will be safe. It will be the time of my life. Um, and my, my mom uh, goes, if you can convince your professors, you've got me convinced. And Doug, going to my, my James Madison professors, who I knew well, class sizes are 25 or smaller. We would go, they'd take us out for coffee. I was in office hours just to chat about life with them. It's the, uh, anybody that's, you know, considering Michigan State, uh, a residential college gets you that big 10 feel, but it, it gives you everything that a small school uh, also offers. It's, it's a tremendous opportunity. Convincing my James Madison professors, they thought it was amazing. But I have prereqs to finish up sophomore year. Uh, classes that I'm one of, 1200 students in a lecture hall where I'm not a name. I'm just a number on a scanner on a code that I have to scan in for attendance and trying to convince my, my econ professor, um, trying to convince my uh, ISP, a science class that I had to take just to, to dot that I and cross that T. Um, I'll never forget the science professor said, there's absolutely no way you can miss my class for four weeks 
you cannot do this. Now, Doug, this was a three credit science class called Natural Disasters in the Environment. And it was a cool class, but it wasn't necessarily going to be something that I thought I was going to need to continue my path to, to want to be a, a high school social studies teacher, something that I knew I wanted to be for, for a long time. So it just so happened my roommate was also in this massive lecture hall. So I was in San Antonio, Texas for a month, and I never missed one of those classes. <laughs> oh, I'm not telling if you're not telling, but you just I appreciate it. So there you go. I appreciate um, it. So you, you go to San Antonio, Texas, you no doubt enjoy a stroll on the river walk on occasion. You get to see the Alamo and you quite likely for certain you get to go to a final four, both the semifinals and the championship game, I would think. Yeah. And you write about it the entire time. What was yeah. the experience like? So the way that March Madness works is that we've got all these regional games for three weeks before the world descends upon a city somewhere in the yeah. United States. And so we're, we're at the epicenter of college basketball before it's the epicenter of college basketball. And it's just a cool town that has a few posters saying final four is coming. Yeah. Well, right in front of the world's largest bracket, which I think to this day holds the record, which was on the side of the San Antonio Convention Hall, which was in the shadow of the, um, they have a Space Needle there that is uh, yeah. called the Tower of Americas. It's got a great steakhouse that uh, we were able to eat at while we were down there um, on the top. But uh, um, the, the world's largest bracket and sitting parked in front of the world's largest college basketball March Madness tournament bracket was an RV that had been gutted and repurposed to be a college basketball fans paradise. TVs everywhere on the outside of the RV, inside the RV, the top of the RV had been turned into a lounge and there's TVs all over there, a stocked refrigerator with everything you could imagine as long as Coca-Cola owned it, uh, all the Papa John's pizza you could eat because you guessed it, Coca-Cola owned it. And as long as there was basketball being played somewhere in America, we were required, job description, right? Coke yeah. Zero Dream Job. We were required to A, be blogging about it as a part of our job, and B, have our eyes glued onto one of the many TVs of this RV. And we had to sign a contract that said this, we would do this. Because at any point, there could be San Antonio media filming us doing this. ESPN could be there. CBS could be there. Um, what was kind of cool was a lot of our local affiliates uh, really jumped onto the story to, to fill the time Monday through Wednesday before the Thursday games would begin. So, you know, there was a feature in the, the free press and the news and um, the Lansing State Journal and uh, the Spartan, you know, the Spartan newspaper out there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then Syracuse newspaper, the Northern Iowa newspaper. Oh, my gosh. This, he, my, my buddy Ryan was uh, he was basically the mayor of his town um, for that month. And um, and it was it was unique. It was I, I still to this day can't. Uh, I cannot actually taste Papa John's pizza without feeling nauseous because it was the only basketball's on 
for a really long time, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of There's the open yeah. weekend. And in case the cameras were rolling, we had to have product placement. And that was Papa John's pizza and salad. Um, so <laughs> it was a, a really cool experience. Um, the the RV is was was a unique spot. It's where the other three and I, the other three winners and I got got really close. Um, I would read their blog posts, and not that it was a competition, um, but we could see each other's uh, click counts, and um, not that it really mattered, right? We'd already won, we'd already we were already down there, but I noticed a trend of people that would stumble upon our stuff. The clicks were coming from not the game action, but um, you know, my reviews on the commercial breaks and because there's a lot of unique commercials during March Madness. Yeah. Uh, my mascot previews for all of the folks in our lives who pick their, I think your wife might be one of these, who, fic, who pick their brackets based off of uh, which mascot could defeat the other mascot in, in some sort of showdown. Uh, and so I would do, you know, reviews like that where I'd preview the game through the lens of school colors and school traditions and uh, school mascots and and um, undergraduate populations and and uh, every time a Big Ten game would come on, then then obviously I'd get a little bit more of the spotlight. Um, every time a ACC game would come on, then my friend from Syracuse would get a little bit more of, of the spotlight. And um, and then Michigan State, uh, they they get placed in Houston, and um, they escape. They escape. This is a, a a truly flawed Michigan State team this year. Um, very young. And they escape a temple team in the first round where I'm watching from the RV decked out in my green and white and pacing like everyone who knows me knows that I still do. Um, but then we get Houston for the second game. And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not that close, but it's not that far. And Coca-Cola took care of us. They pay for my ticket to, to go to the game and they say, if you can get there, you've got tickets. My mom and my aunt fly down. They're like, free San Antonio trip. And uh, Doug, I had a penthouse suite at the top of a hotel in downtown San Antonio. So they all got their own rooms, and so did I. Uh, they they rented a car. We drove to, to Houston. We watched Michigan State lose by close to 30 points to uh, a team I would get to see courtside in a few short weeks in uh, in the Memphis Tigers. Um, Co Coach John Calipari, uh, Derek Rose, uh, yes. point guard. And Back when he still had two functioning team. knees, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, and a Memphis Tiger team that was just freakishly athletic, uh, fast, furious, strong. Um, they end up losing in the national championship game on a buzzer beater to uh, to Kansas. Uh, Mario Chalmers hits that shot on the opposite opposite end of the court from where we were sitting. Um, but yeah, I got to go to that game. Um, got to 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 represent Spartan Nation in Texas a little bit, and. Um, and, and made some some great relationships with these other three uh, relationships that we still have today. And um, we were hoping to do a, a reunion, um, but COVID hit and uh, and knocked. Uh, I really want to do the reunion when Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman were, were on our team where I could have some bragging rights. 
Um, but uh, a reunion is coming for sure uh, with the four of us. Um, maybe the next time the Final Four is is in San Antonio. That was that. That is a uh, marvelous story. A um, couple of things I was thinking of was yeah. Xavier in the field that year. Yes. Yes. Um, Xavier. Uh, oh my gosh. I don't remember who they lost to, but they, they made uh they lasted either just as long or one round further. No, they do. They last longer than Michigan state does this year. Um, because I obviously have my Xavier gear packed with me in my, my suitcase. And so I switch over at the RV from head to toe green and white um, to my, my blue and white Xavier gear for the following weekend uh, of games. Um, man, just you met you asking that question. It's amazing what the memory can do. Like you just, uh, uh, you dusted off a memory that I haven't thought of, um, in a long time. And obviously it was heartbroken that Michigan state ended their journey, uh, when it did that I didn't get to write about my boys anymore on that blog. But, uh, but yeah, I did get to write about Xavier for, for one more week, um, until their next game. Nice. And I, I, at the top, we talked about you being able to be courtside for that final four there. I think the next two years, Michigan State was in it. So that'd be why you were there for that. What was it like to be there for both the semis and the championship game? I know you had the experience a year later in Detroit with yeah. MSU and, and Carolina, but what was it like to be there for the, the Memphis, Kansas game? The, the best part was the lead up to the game. So we had been in this beautiful town that I had never spent any time in um, as a future history teacher, a town that uh, I was so fortunate to get to, um, you know, have my morning coffee while walking uh, the grounds of the Alamo before the, the general public descended upon it around the lunchtime hours, um, you know, uh, walk the, the river walk. Um, after the Riverwalk stores and restaurants closed just to, you know, clear my mind um, to pass the time because we didn't know anybody, right? I'm a, And I'm not 21 yet. I'm a 19-year-old kid that can't get into most of these establishments. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of uh, time to kill. Um, and, uh, and so the, the world, the college basketball world descends upon the town, though, uh, in the couple of days leading up to the the, the semi semifinal game, the final four, and to see Kansas and their fan base show up early and just take over the town, and then this UCLA fan base that is just hungry to get back to a tradition of of excellence that that they had had, and then this Memphis fan base that. Um, everyone was a little bit confused as to what they were doing there. Right. And, um, yeah. and those are the three fan bases that I interacted with the most to be, to be completely honest, was, was those three teams. And, um, and um, our hotel was, was mostly Kansas fans and uh, um, it was cool to get to know them. I got to hear about, uh, you know, the rock chalk Jayhawk traditions and chants and hear a lot about uh, um, Allen field house. And, and um, it's, uh, I haven't been, it's a, a bucket list place for me yeah. as is uh, assembly hall. Um, but it's a bucket list for me. My sister-in-law is a Kansas grad. So I knew, I do now have a, a connection and a, and a way to, to maybe get back and go see one of those games. Um, but when the world descends upon San Antonio and these, the lead up to these games, I get to see this, uh, something I hadn't experienced before. I've been to bowl games uh, with the Michigan State Marching Band. Uh, well, I should say I've been to one bowl game. Uh, uh, it was the end of the John L. Smith era. 
uh, transitioning into the beginning of Mark D'Antonio, my freshman and sophomore year. So I'd been to one bowl game and I'd experienced that. Um, but to see four fan bases take over a town and and uh, to see them interact with one another and to see them go about um, doing all the touristy things and going to SeaWorld and going to the Alamo and, and doing the river walk and and having their steak dinners at the Tower of America's, the, the Space Needle, um, it was just awesome to be a part of. And then they slapped a Coke Zero bracelet on me and all those places I couldn't get into because I was only 19, all of a sudden I could get into them on Final Four weekend. And... I kid you not when I mentioned the, the, uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption and I mentioned the movie Bull Durham, what's the name that comes to your mind? Timothy Robbins. Timothy Robbins is a diehard college basketball fan. Really? I'm at a Coca-Cola sponsored pre-party for the final four. And I truly only ordered a Coke. I walked up to, to order a Coke. And a guy turns next to me, sitting by himself at the bar. And he goes, don't you want some rum in that? And then he looks at me and kind of sizes me up and goes, oh, no, you're definitely not old enough to have rum in that. In fact, I don't think you're old enough to be in here, son. And I go, you're Tim Robbins. And uh, and we talked college basketball. We talked uh, we talked about the matchup. We talked about the teams. We talked about the universities. We talked about um, I didn't you know fanboy over the fact that Bull Durham was a, a personal favorite movie of mine or that Shawshank Redemption in, in my book one of the all time great movies. Um, you know it, we didn't talk about anything but college basketball, and I think that's why he kept me around. Why he didn't get up and leave. <laughs> Uh, he was fascinated by what the heck I was doing there. Um, there was a recent American Idol winner performing on this little stage uh, in this pre-party uh, around the corner from us. Um, you know, there were probably other celebrities around, but I found myself very comfortable uh, just talking basketball at a bar where I was sipping on a on a Coke. And, um, and then there was a concert. Uh, I think most Final Fours do a pre-concert the day of the games. Um, and there was a concert and the headliners were an up and coming alternative rock band called fallout boy, which uh, became pretty big, mm-hmm. a, uh, a rock band that, uh, at the time was just at the top of the charts called three doors down mm-hmm. a young, uh, alternative band called the all American rejects that ended up doing pretty well there. And then there's this country singer with curly blonde hair and a white dress and, cowboy boots that was my age and she sang a song called hey steven my name happens to be steven and uh she plays this acoustic guitar by herself on stage and we're able to go backstage so i'm like you know what i'll see what taylor swift has going on for dinner tonight potentially so um a, tw- a Taylor is uh, a few years younger than me. Just to, or, sorry, a few months younger than me. Uh, we are the <laughs> we are the same age, but she's a few months younger than me. Um, I have my buddy from Northern Iowa take. In these days, guys, we had actual digital cameras we had to use. Uh, they weren't on our phones. I had him take my digital camera, and I said, "Hey, I'm going to go ask Taylor Swift for a picture." And I was going to put my arm around her for this picture, and she had just walked off the stage. It's Texas. 
Like I mentioned before, Coke Zero's logo is black, red, and white. I'm wearing a black polo. I have a backwards Tigers fitted hat on. It's Texas and the sun is beating on me and I'm pitting out. I'm sweaty. Uh, I'm probably not spelling the best. I get my arm here around Taylor Swift, almost to her shoulders. And her mom, who at the time was her manager, pulls her away, pushes her onto a golf cart and whisks her away to her trailer, leaving the All-American rejects just dying of laughter, saying, hey, man, we'll take any picture you want. So I have a great picture of the All-American rejects, like draped all over my body, you know, picking me up. Um, and uh, and we shared a laugh about that. So the the, the cool part of, of this trip, Doug, is, is very much basketball related, but it's also the fanfare. And I got to see it. Yeah. I'm so fortunate to get to see it in my hometown uh, on a on a miracle surprise run by by Michigan State um, and, and was able to uh, sit in the front row court side of that game through uh, my my leadership position in the zone and camping out in the snow because uh, it snowed on uh, national championship morning. Um, a surprise snow that uh, the North Carolina fans acted like they had never seen snow before. Um, and then, uh, and then with uh, a tremendous Michigan state team, my, my senior year uh, was able to travel down to Indianapolis again, sit in the front row again, have my heart stomped out by a Butler team that had, was making their own Cinderella run. Um, but just uh, some of my best memories, you know, this, this podcast is all about sports memories and, and you can, you can, you can tell these are vivid memories. Um, they, they feel like they were yesterday and, and I can't wait until these stories have a little bit of meaning to, uh, to my own kids. Yeah. And they already have meaning to my students. I tell my students that story about Taylor Swift and, uh, and she's just as relevant to them as, as they are, as, as she was to me. I was going to say though, there, it tends to be, it seems to be a little apropos that you would, as soon as she, her mom comes in and takes her away, that you're left with the All-American rejects, because at that point you probably felt like an All-American reject, I'm guessing. And mean you, you got as close to getting a picture with her as most folks are getting to get tickets to see her right now too. So it's a, don't say that too loud. Uh, my wife will come cut the internet connection. She has been in a queue longer this week than she has been uh, doing anything else. <laughs> oh yeah. Interesting times for sure. Um, so I, I, I mean, of all the things that, that you, um, that, that, that we read at the top, the one that I'm most intrigued about and, and we may have to have you back to just talk about what it's like to be involved in a student fan club, quite like you were in the end zone, the is zone. But I'm most intrigued by this whole oppo research thing. What, what in the heck was that about? And and I know that you were kind of a, a co-creator of that and, and maybe started it. But how did that come to be? And what was that all about? If you're able to share any trade secrets. Sure. Um, so. Tom Izzo loves to hear himself talk and I love to listen to Tom Izzo talk and, uh, and, and Izzo would address uh, all of the students at a Izzo camp out, something, a tradition that continues today. If you want to get tickets to be in the Michigan state uh, basketball student section, you have to pop a tent up on campus and uh, you have to sleep amongst the uh, your colleagues under the stars um, and you have to last 24 hours in whatever conditions are rolled out. Um, and Izzo addresses us a couple different times and he walks around, he takes pictures and signs autographs and the players, you know, also camp out. And it's a, it's a great tradition. One of my favorite 
college traditions, especially once the football team got good um, under D'Antonio those early years. Uh, we would watch the football games all together uh, on that Saturday. It would always be an away game when the uh, campout was scheduled in the fall. So Izzo would say every year in the campout, he would give some statistic that I'm sure he would make up on the spot um, about how many games the Izzone is responsible for winning every year. And I don't remember the exact stat, but um, basically the coach would say our home court advantage is unlike anywhere else in the country. Everywhere else has it has changed over to the people who donate the most money are the people who are closest to the action. Well, at Michigan State, that's not necessarily the case. There are 50 to 60 mega donors who have their feet on the court in folding chairs. And then there is a wave of 18 to 22 year old energy that nowhere else has. And I truly to this day believe that a good is can win, can be enough of a swing to win three games over the course of the season. And, uh, and I say a good is because there are bad is and, and, uh, there are is that I watch. And, and as a 34 year old curmudgeon myself, I say, back in my day, we never would have let this happen. Um, but to make sure that we were a good Izzone, my partner in, in crime at this time, my best friend at the time, Corey, he was as much, if not more, of a diehard. He had been raised a Michigan State fan. Both his parents were Spartans. He's from Northport, where, uh, you know, in the wintertime, it was Michigan State basketball, especially if you weren't a skier, and he wasn't a skier. So it was Michigan State basketball that he lived and breathed. We went to every game together. We sat courtside at every Final Four together, except for the one in San Antonio. Um, he painted his face the opposite. If I was green on the left, he was white on the left. If I was green on the right, he was white on the right. Um, I wore a green sports jacket over top of my white ism uh, shirt. He wore a white sports jacket. So we were uh, yin and yang when it came to our, our time together in the ism. And um, when we had this idea where what if we started our own wiki page? And we were we were already creating spreadsheets of information, personal information that we could find about opposing teams so that in the as a section leader, we'd have to get to games two and a half to three hours before tip off. So in the two and a half to three hours before tip off, we had a tremendous opportunity to get very close to opposing teams and, and have conversations. And and it creeps out opposing teams when you can say, oh, hey, how was uh, how was junior prom two years ago? You know, those black and white sneakers, they weren't doing anything for you with that uh, that pink suit you wore. Um, and uh, and yeah, now as a high school teacher, that's super creepy. Um, but as a college student, it was effective. And Doug, I had a, a point guard that played a long time in the NBA. Uh, that was the point guard for Ohio State that finished a warm-up shot. I mentioned something. I don't know if he heard exactly what I said or if he thought I said something offensive, but he puts the basketball down. He walks right off the court. He gets right in my face and says something that I can't repeat on this podcast about my mother. And, uh, and it's a vivid memory because this is a guy who was so rattled by just a little bit of digging on the old Google machine um, nothing, we, we, we are, we, I, I swear to you, nothing vulgar, everything creative. We, pro we were very proud of that. 
Uh, we signed a contract to be in the zone that says that we will not use offensive language that could pop up on national TV or that would that would leave Michigan State in a bad light. And and believe me, you know my university is not flawless, right? Um, but nothing that I said or did breached the contract in five years of doing it. We were creative, we were effective, we were never offensive, and. Uh, and to hear Robbie Hummel on the Big Ten Network broadcast, now he's a, a broadcaster, talk about yeah. his experiences coming to the Breslin, which he does every time he's on a call. Um, we made that man's life miserable. And he just kept on coming back for more and more seasons. And we just kept on giving it to him in the most creative ways possible. So that's the Wicca zone. It was, I wish I could share it with you right now. It was still there. Um, maybe a decade after we started it um, where uh, we wouldn't update it, but we, had, we were always hoping some current member of the Azone would stumble upon it and be like, Hey, we should uh, continue this. Now you referenced the contract and you also referenced um, the, the commitment and, and being a section leader. What does it take for one to become a section leader in the Azone? It's an application process. It's a time commitment. That and is, you've clearly uh, got that nail. You, you, your <laughs> yeah, application, application process, process is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can make myself look okay on paper. Uh, you mentioned that I was, a, uh, we were both faces for radio. Um, we're also both faces for, for impressive applications, I think. Um, but uh, it was an application process. It's a commitment. It's another contract that says, hey, you will be at games, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, three hours, two and a half hours to three hours before tip off. Um, every game has a, uh, a newspaper that if you watch the games closely, yeah. the fans in the zone hold up during the uh, starting lineups to pretend like we are not interested in mm-hmm. the opposing starting lineup. Uh, there is a scouting report that is uh, a formal scouting report on the uh, MSU team and the opposition that is on every single lower bowl zone member's seat. And then there is a white paper bag that is inflated uh, during the opening tip and is popped on the first made basket. Um, and so there's three props in every single home Michigan state game still to this day. Those are set out by section leaders. Now that's a time commitment, uh, for as many seats as there are in the lower and the upper bowl of the Breslin center. Um, so it takes a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of bodies. You do that manual labor and you can have your pick of any seat you want in the entire lower bowl. Um, and we took advantage of it. We sat in the same exact spot every year. Um, we were behind a basket for my sophomore and my junior year. And then for my senior year, and then luckily I got to be a student teacher where it's still counted as being a Michigan State student. So I would finish my my engagements in, during my student teaching year at uh, Utica Ford High School. I book it up to East Lansing on a Tuesday night. And I sat in my new spot uh, that we were at for my, my senior year and my super senior year uh, during my student teaching, which was the first row directly behind the Michigan state bench, where at one point I was very critical of an inbounds play that Tom had drawn up in a timeout. And uh, um, I couldn't believe that uh, we, we desperately needed a basket uh, play resulted in a turnover. I couldn't believe what he drew up. Um, I thought I was just talking to my buddy next to me. Coaches who hears it, this is in game. And he, he says something along the lines of when you have your own D one basketball program, then you can be critical of the offense that I run. 
So I coach middle school basketball now in Rochester Community Schools, and I tell that story at the end of the season banquet that this is the closest thing I will ever have to, to uh, fulfilling Coach Izzo's prophecy. Um, well, those are just utterly fantastic uh, recollections, Steve. Um, a, uh, a life well lived, and, and you're not even halfway through it yet. And I think, I, I don't know, we, we didn't talk about this in advance, but um, at least one of your children has a name with a connection yep. to Michigan State University. Are you open to sharing that or is that off limits? <laughs> Absolutely. No, uh, we're watching a game. Uh, my wife is, uh, Breslin was born in June. So my wife is probably um, six months, maybe five months pregnant at the time. And we've got my in-laws over watching the game with us. And um, they, the announcers come back from commercial and say, and we're back from the Breslin Center in East Lansing, Michigan. And my mother-in-law turns and says, Breslin, Breslin book, Breslin book. That has a nice ring to it. What do you guys think? And we had our short list, right? Like all, you know, new parents yeah. do. Um, and we looked at each other and we both kind of had that same look in our eyes. Like, yeah, that, that does have a really nice ring to it. And, and my wife is a Spartan and my wife bleeds, uh, green and white just as much as I do. Uh, maybe not as much for, for basketball, but certainly for football. And, um, and it just, it just lingered. She was born. She didn't cry. Doctors do not like when that happens. Uh, the doctors took her away from, from my wife, um, which is a scary moment for a, a new mom, new parents. Uh, they start poking and prodding her. And, and as a new dad, I'm sort of uh, caught in the middle. Uh, do I do I hold on to my wife's hand, continue to, to be with my wife? Do I go over by the baby? Uh, a nurse must have been through this a time or two and guided me right over to the baby um, and said, you know, we're going to be poking and prodding your daughter, making sure that uh, everything's good um, until she cries. She, uh, uh, so I started talking to her and I said, are you in Ella? And she didn't cry. And I said, are you uh, another name that, that was high on our list? Great. Uh, Gracie is the name. Uh, and she didn't cry. And I said, are you a Breslin? And she let out her first sound. So she picked her name. And your son is Spartacus, is that right? No. <laughs> uh, Spartacus, uh, D'Antonio, Izzo, book the third. The third. Wow. <laughs> I can't wait to meet your grandfather. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so, Steve, I, I again, thank you so much for the time tonight. And I would imagine there are many things that we could still go on to cover. I, I, I would be remiss, though, if I didn't ask, because I know that you we started off talking a lot about baseball and the stadiums that you've been to. Um, you had the, the, you know, the, call it the privilege, but the honor, I suppose, to you know, spend a month in a final four city. What is left on your list? What, what, what types of things would you like to experience as a sports fan, not necessarily a Michigan state sports fan, but just a sports fan in general. What, what, what else is out there for you? Yep. The, the, the best game I've been to is the Rose bowl. Um, and, uh, and got to see Michigan state beat Stanford, uh, but to see the sunset, um, just before halftime over the mountains, 
Um, it truly is, if you're a religious person, it truly is that embodiment of what you think heaven on earth looks like. Um, and, and then we won the game in a, in a very, uh, uh, very amazing third down, fourth down stand. Um, and then, uh, so that was, that was a, a big time bucket list item. Um, I've been to 18 major league baseball stadiums, active stadiums. I've got 12 to go. Um, so I'd like to cross those 12 off my list. Um, I've been to the classic baseball stadiums, all the ones that are still active. Um, my favorite being, uh, being Wrigley and, uh, and Fenway was, was pretty incredible. I got to go tour Monument Park in the old Yankee stadium. Um, you know, I've been, Doug, I've been super fortunate. So, so bucket list items are, um, I haven't been to every big 10 football stadium and that's a four-year marching band member that that's, hasn't done that. So I'd like to get to, to every big 10 uh, football stadium. And, um, and I can't wait to see Michigan state play in a college football playoff game or a final four in new Orleans, Louisiana someday. I've never been to the city. I'm a tremendous jazz fan, obviously with my, my music connection, um, and the first time I go to New Orleans will be when Michigan State plays in either the, the college football playoff some year um, or in uh, when, when they host the Final Four again. That is a, a specific uh, an option, as I've heard from many of my guests so far. So I like that. <laughs> Good. And uh, yeah. you're, you're, just, you're abstaining from New Orleans until that time. I am. Yeah. Okay. Good. Unless unless you're uh, unless Mardi Gras comes around this year and you're like, Steve, let's go. I, Steve, you know me well enough to know that I am not a Mardi Gras type of fellow. <laughs> I so, do know that about you. Yeah. No, I, I would run the other way. I would, I would look for whatever the Monday is, not the, not the <laughs> Tuesday. Um, and have you been to any other Big Ten stadiums besides Michigan Stadium and, and Spartan Stadium? I would imagine the band took a trip on occasion somewhere, but, but which ones have you not been to yet? Yeah, I've, I haven't been to Camp Randall in Wisconsin, yeah. which is obviously the, yeah. the top of the bucket list. Um, so that's the big one. And uh, and Columbus, I don't need to ever go back to. Um, I love the town of Columbus. It's one of my favorite Midwest towns. Um, but wearing a green and white marching band uniform, um, I've never, and being on the outside, uh, being in a leadership position within the band, um, the, the formation that the band takes to get to a stadium I always thought that it was just tradition that we were a uh, military style band in uniform and in formation. Uh, it became necessity, not tradition uh, in Columbus as fans would push their way directly through our ranks. Um, and I had uh, I had some of my little freshmen that I very much was protective of still to this day. I'm very protective of um, uh, even though they're in their thirties and, and married and, and have kids of their own. Um, but I had some, uh, some young ladies that, um, that were in the interior of my line that there was no fan that was going to be coming through my rank, uh, in that side. And, um, and so, so Columbus is, is, it's been, yeah, it's big, it's loud. It's truly scary. Uh, if you are an opposing fan and I know a lot of people have similar stories like this, um, so, so yeah, I don't, so it's camp Randall for me is, is the big one. Um, and I can't wait to go. I can't wait to get out there. Uh, I would love to see the wave to the, uh, the children's hospital in, in Iowa. Yeah. And 
one of my best friends, Michael, went to Iowa for the Michigan game this year. He's a big Michigan fan, and uh, and he's been raving about it ever since. So let's let's put those two high on the list: Iowa and Wisconsin. Very good. Well, I can't thank you enough for the gift of time um, on a school night, no less. And oh, this now was I, a ton of fun. I, I, I know we had to go after your kids' bedtime, but we're now approaching my bedtime. So same, same. <laughs> Thanks again, Steve. Thanks for doing night. this, Doug. Thanks for the invite. Take care. Conversations with Sports Fans is a production of the Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.